and welcome to the Friday, April 2nd, 2021, Easter Bonnet edition of On Iowa Politics. Baseball season opened this week, so as a tip of the cap to Major League Baseball, we're planning a three-hour podcast with plenty of spitting and scratching and no doubt some swings and misses. This week, an early look at the end of this week, an early look, the end of a saga, and unlike MLB games, a lightning round. Hi, I'm James Lynch of the Cedar Rapids Gazette with Tom Barton of Quad City Times. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, James. Aaron Murphy, Lee Newspaper State House Bureau Chief. Good morning, James. Go Brewers, and my apologies to the Twins fans uh, both hey, 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 and hey. on the podcast. <laughs> and Gazette Opinion Editor Todd Dorman. Good morning, Todd. Good morning. Careful, Aaron, you're outnumbered. <laughs> You can find us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to On Iowa Politics wherever you find your podcast. First up, an early look in a, what it called a very early look at 2020 gubernatorial races. 538.com rated Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds' re-election very likely. The 2020 election will not only determine who controls the governor's office and the direction of state policy and legislation, but will likely offer Iowans a glimpse of presidential hopefuls in the 2024 cycle and beyond. Reynolds has not formally announced her re-election plans, and despite the Iowa poll showing that a majority of Iowans don't want her to run again, there's little doubt she will seek a second full term. So let's do a very early look at her re-election chances down here at ground level. Aaron, it's been a tough year for Reynolds uh, and all governors dealing with the coronavirus pandemic. Reynolds has certainly taken her share of criticism for handling of COVID-19. If most everyone is vaccinated by summer, if the kids go back to in-person school in August and fans can go to Hawkeye and Cyclone football games like in the old days, is Reynolds a lock for re-election? Um, a, a lock is probably a strong term, but uh, if those things are, as you described, uh, certainly makes her strong case even stronger. Um, and I think you raise a good point about uh, uh, looking ahead and and uh, how things might look uh, in, in future months. And, and if you think about it, between now and election day 2022, we'll have completed a whole nother school year and be into a, another one, into a third one, if you're counting the one we're currently in as, as one. So there's a long time between now and then, and if, if things are, are back to normal and, and moving, um, I, I suspect, and I've said this multiple times here on the podcast, that the Democrats will make the governor's um, handling of the pandemic an issue on the campaign. But I, but I equally suspect that if, if things are as you described uh, by the summer and fall of 2020-22, which is more than a year away, uh, I don't know how much weight that will carry with voters. Uh, it's going to be a, a distant memory. And look, for a public health perspective, we should all be rooting for that that be the case. Um, so, so yeah, I think if, if, if that's the way things look by then, uh, that makes Reynolds' sailing a little smoother. And, and conversely, Aaron, if, if we don't achieve herd immunity or if there's a fourth surge and we don't get back to business as usual. Does COVID-19 become 
for Reynolds like Vietnam for Lyndon Johnson. I assume you've heard of Lyndon Johnson in Vietnam. <laughs> I, I'm not that young. I have, yes. Uh, but bless you for suggesting as much. Um, yeah, yeah. Conversely, if this is still a, a very real issue that we're dealing with on a data basis, uh, man, another year and a half from now, yeah, Reynolds and probably honestly any governor will be in dire, incumbent dumber governor will be in dire straits uh, regardless of political party and whether fair or not at that point. I mean, my God, if we're still dealing with this in the fall of 2022, uh, it, it might be fair to question at that point whether anybody could have done anything about it. Um, but yeah, I mean, if, if we go through another surge and have another uh, bout like we did this past winter, uh, then yeah, that's not going to look great on the resume of someone wanting to be the state's top executive again. In, in talking to Republicans, um, they didn't share polling data, but suggested that the governor's numbers were looking very good early uh, in 2020, um, even midway through the year. But as the pandemic numbers went up, uh, went the wrong direction, they said there was some softening of those numbers. On the other hand, if you look at some of the actions she's taken, uh, they seem to be very popular with the base, relaxing the mask mandate, relaxing uh, you know, restrictions on dining, inside dining, uh, those sorts of things. Those things are popular uh, with her base. I was at a Republican fundraiser last night and I could probably count on one hand the number of people wearing masks um, and pretty much all of us were news people. Um, there were a number of people who were protecting their hands with their mask, uh, walking around with a mask in their hand, I guess, just in case um, they were somebody stuck out their hand to shake hands or something. I'm not sure what the reasoning was there. But yeah, so I, I mean, I think she's, uh, you know, she's solidifying her uh, support among the base. Uh, I want to, I don't, Expect she's going to get a primary challenge in 2022. Exactly. But um, yeah, I think you're right, Aaron. I mean, if if we're back to normal, uh, you know, a year from now, even sooner, uh, people are going to there, there's going to be some other problem to deal with. Yep. 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 We, and we always say that, you know, at, at, at this point in the cycle, we talk about the news of the day, and and we start to think to ourselves, well, will this be an issue on the campaign? And we always, and then usually we someone reminds ourselves that, hey, we're X number of months out, that the, the landscape's going to be totally different. This would be the one time, it will be interesting to me, um, I mean, literally a once-in-a-century event, could this be the one kind of issue that has some staying power and that even if by this summer everything's back to normal, could this still move voters a year from now? Um, maybe, because this was so big and so unique and so different, Maybe I think I think you've said it right, James. She's not going to get primaried because of this, so she's got, and she's not going to lose the Republican base in the, in a general election over this. So she's fine there. Um, we know the Democrats weren't going to vote for her anyways. That this didn't change anything that way. The question then is always is for the you know the the leaning voters, the swayable, convincible, persuadable voters. Has any of this changed their minds about Kim Reynolds? And that's something we we don't know. 
I guess I would expect Democrats to make an issue of it in the sense that this, as you said, is sort of a once in a century test of leadership and they will make the case that she failed, that, you know, that the, the biggest um, threat to everyday life in Iowa and, and the governor didn't uh, seem to be up to the challenge. Uh, I guess that, that would be the argument I would expect from Democrats, regardless of what the COVID situation is right. a year from now and going into the election season. But, um, yeah. Todd, um, I, I guess to, to defeat Kim Reynolds, it seems like Democrats are going to have to expand their vote share in rural Iowa and outperform Fred Hubble in the urban and suburban areas. Um, and and there, I think there's little doubt that uh, former President Donald Trump turned off many former Republican or swing voters, especially suburban women. Uh, without Trump on the ballot, does Reynolds have a decent chance of winning back those voters? Yeah, I think, <clears throat> sorry, I think that's possible. Uh, I mean, with with regards to Trump, that's another thing that's sort of connected to the uh, to the pandemic is that there was a feeling among folks who were critical of Reynolds that she uh, sort of managed the pandemic using the Trump playbook and a lot of the things that they've, you know, that she's, the bills that she's going to be signing from the legislature and has signed, some of them are, are sort of Trumpy. So, and she's stayed, you know, she, you know, stayed pretty tight with the president during all of his problems and, and, and if he runs for president again, I'm sure she'll be supporting him. But so it's it's a little bit hard for her to kind of separate herself from people you know, from Trump and and that whole. But you know, by then, how much is that going to matter? I guess it will matter if Trump is on the scene and running for president in 2022. Uh, that that could make a difference. But you know, if, if he shows up and fundraises and holds rallies in Iowa. And, Republicans go stand next to him. I mean, that will kind of emphasize that. Uh, I mean, I I think the Democrat where where the pandemic response might have staying powder power is is sort of in this question of competence, which you know legislative candidates don't really have to worry about that so much. And Congress and Senate, I mean, they're going to go be part of a legislative body, but the governor is a, a singular executive with a lot of power, and and. and you know, as we saw during the pandemic, she basically was making all of these decisions without the legislature, without anyone else. She was sort of the uh, the COVID czar. If you, <laughs> if you, I'm sure she would bristle at that description. Uh, but so, yeah, all of that, all of that, you know, those arguments about that we need someone that can that can you know manage well. You know, that, those are going to be the questions that are affected by the pandemic. So I think the, you know, I think the Democrats need to find somebody who, a candidate who has, you know, strong, that strong management, you know, skills. I don't, people talk about uh, 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 Franken, the, the Senate candidate. He was a, an admiral and, you know, commanded task forces and things. I don't know what sort of politician he'll be or you know what what kind of art how he'll be on the stump and whether he'll appeal to people because you know that run for senate prior in the primary was sort of all virtual and and socially distanced so we didn't really get much of a chance to see him out on the out on the trail but 
someone like that or another candidate that that kind of can contrast and say, I, you know, I manage these crises and and did far better than this governor. I don't know exactly who that is, but that would be that would be, you know, if I were a Democrat and, you know, if they ever asked me for my opinion, <laughs> which they don't. I think you, know, it, you, you use the word management, Todd. I think that's good. And the, the other one I'd add to that is leadership. Someone who exudes leadership yeah. ability. I, th- I think you're, um, I, I think you make a good point there. Well, it's finally over more than four months after election day, the race for an open seat in Iowa second district has ended. Uh, Tom Barton is smiling uh, cheering <laughs> on the basis of a six vote margin. Republican Marionette Miller Meeks had been previously provisionally seated in the U.S. House of Representatives. Uh, Democrat Rita Hart petitioned the House to conduct its own look at the results, arguing there were 22 legally cast but uncounted ballots that would have given her a victory. The House administration rejected Miller Meeks' request that the petition be dismissed. But this week, Rita Hart announced that she was ending her um, quest to have the, the, dis, the re- election looked at by the House Administration Committee. And uh, we've been following this saga every step of the way. Tom, um, tell us the end of the story. Yes. So the 2020 election in Iowa has finally ended nearly five months later. Um, as you mentioned, Democrat uh, Rita Hart on Wednesday abruptly dropped her bid to overturn her six-vote loss to Congresswoman Marionette Miller-Meeks. She uh, abandoned a long legal and bitter partisan fight that threatened to drag on through the summer uh, in the face of shaky support from her own party. Um, so after months spent asking uh, Congress to investigate the election results and conduct a, a uniform hand recount of ballots, claiming, as, as James noted, that there were 22 legally passed but uncounted ballots. Um, Hart's reversal takes pressure off of moderate and vulnerable Democrats in competitive districts who appeared increasingly uncomfortable of the possibility of voting to overturn a state-certified election, particularly after uh, Democrats bashed Republicans for trying to overturn former President Donald Trump's 2020 electoral defeat to President Joe Biden by voting against certification of the Electoral College results in key swing states based on unfounded claims of voter fraud that that led to the violent and deadly insurrection on the U.S. Capitol January 6th. Um, Hart's News also followed weeks of persistent House GOP attacks and fundraising efforts attacking uh, Rita Hart's challenge as an effort to steal the election as part of a partisan power grab to pad House Democrats' narrow majority Um, The National Republican Congressional Committee began airing ads uh, either this week or last week targeting Iowa's lone Democrat in Congress, uh, U.S. Representative Cindy Axney, over the House panel's ongoing review of the um, second district election results. Hart, though, made clear in her statement Wednesday announcing her decision to withdraw her election contest that she stands by her claims. Uh, Hart, in her statement, said that, quote, despite her best efforts to have every vote counted, The reality is that the toxic campaign of political disinformation to attack this constitutional review of the closest congressional race in 100 years has effectively silenced the voice of Iowans. Um, She went on to call it, quote, 
a stain on our democracy, that the truth has not prevailed, and my hope for the future is a return to decency and civility. We can all wish. We can all wish. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I covered a, a GOP fundraiser here in Cedar Rapids uh, last night. Uh, Senator Rick Scott from Florida was a featured attraction. But um, when Marionette Miller Meeks arrived, she got the rock star treatment. Um, and people were really uh, uh, cheering her and congratulating her. And she spoke at the fundraiser and, and she got very emotional and, and started to choke up as she talked about this challenge to her win. And um, at the same time, I guess in, in you know, sort of uh, what we've come to know about Marionette Miller-Meeks, uh, she's, she's pretty strong-willed. She was sounded defiant last night. She said, we were in a staring, con staring contest with Nancy Pelosi. She blinked, uh, which uh, went over very well with that crowd uh, of Nancy Pelosi. Uh, Tom, any idea of what happens next, uh, or or is this all over? Uh, and I, I guess what happens next for Rita Hart? Does she have a political future? Yeah, so this definitely seems to be over. Um, you know, her uh, attorneys and campaign filed the official paperwork to and and with, officially withdrew her contest um, from the the. Um, or before the um, Committee on House Administration. Um, so this definitely seems over. I mean, it's clear that, you know, she doesn't have the votes in the House. It's clear that, um, that again, House Democrats were not comfortable with taking this vote on the floor. So I think it's been officially settled. Um, Hart has not indicated as of yet what her next moves are or if she will run in 2022. But you have to think that the blowback over her decision to contest the election results before the democratically controlled House will make it extremely difficult for her to run for this seat again. Um, you know, it would definitely become a liability for her on the campaign trail um, and make for an easy GOP fundraising pitch to mount attack ads against her over the issue and distract voters from any campaign messaging she would hope to, to put forward. Uh, in fact, Iowa GOP Party Chairman Jeff Kaufman, in a statement, said Hart's withdrawal of her contest, quote, should signal to every Iowan that the fight to take back the House and Senate in 2022 has begun. Um, so, yeah, this. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, how, how secure is Miller Meeks grip on that seat, um, considering Democrats have like a 25,000 voter advantage uh, in the second district? Yeah, I think I think it's tenuous. And um, uh, uh, Miller Meeks on Wednesday acknowledged that uh, the election results show an evenly divided district. Um, she said, uh, quote, we're, we're about as evenly divided as you can get. Uh, and she said that for those people who supported me, this is a relief and validation for them. Uh, for those who did not support me, I will truly work hard to be a, a congresswoman for everybody in the second district. Um, and she's been working hard to promote that image in recent weeks touring and administering COVID-19 vaccines at vaccination clinics in counties across the district to, to promote vaccinations, um, pushing to safely reopen schools, uh, introducing legislation to help veterans reenter the workforce. She traveled to the southern border to call attention to the influx of, of migrants that have overwhelmed shelters there and pushing legislation that will require the Department of Homeland Security to test all migrants um, crossing the border for COVID-19. 
um, that DHS plans to release in the community. So she's definitely been promoting herself as this career public health official in Congress who is working to help protect Iowans and, and recover from the pandemic. And so I, I think she's she's acknowledging that this is an evenly divided district and trying to show herself um, as, um, yeah, as, as again, as, as this licensed physician and, and public health official who is trying to work on these bipartisan issues um, surrounding the, the pandemic and showing that, look, I'm, I'm fighting for Iowans, I'm fighting to to, to keep you going and trying to get back to a return to normal. Well, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> it's, well, uh, think, I'm sure. Go ahead, Todd. I think she can double her victory margin. <laughs> easily. So, I mean, it's, did, at, that, at that fundraiser, James, did she bring out the six voters who, who, no, the one who decided the election? <laughs> Landslide, landslide. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. All right. Moving on, we're going to have a lightning round here. First up, will Chuck Grassley run for re-election? Yes, no, what? Yeah, I was waiting for you to call on us. I'll, I'll start. Okay, Aaron. Yes. Tom. Yes. Todd. Yep. All right. It's unanimous. If not, who will be the Democratic and Republican nominees? We'll go in reverse order this time. Todd. Oh, I have no idea. Because <laughs> I think Grassley's going to, I think Grassley's going to run. And then I think that's going to scare off anyone with any sense. So. Well, we know we know Jim Carlin is running. Well, yeah, we Gra Grassley. Yeah, Tom. Uh, yeah, the same answer is Todd. Um, yeah, if Grassley runs, he's going to scare anybody off. If he doesn't, uh, I guess as of now, the default would be Jim Carlin. But I don't know that there's much support from him among the the party. And Aaron, Chuck Grassley versus Al Franken. All right, Mike Franken. Mike Franken. I'm sorry. <laughs> see, see, you know, you know, that's that's exactly what happened when I couldn't remember his first name earlier. I almost said Al, and I'm like, it's not Al. What? What is it? <laughs> I would love to see that matchup. By the way, yeah, yeah that would be that would be that would be a terrific. Campaign. Yeah, that is it five o'clock yet. I think I need. All right. We talked about the, the governor's race in 2022. Who will be her challenger? A lot of names have been mentioned. Rob Sands, Sidney Axney, Jay Scholten, Liz Mathis, Abby Beckenauer, Mike, or Al Franken. Uh, Tom, who's going to be the Democratic challenger? Rob Sand. Aaron. I'll go with Axney. I have this weird feeling about Rob Sand that I don't know that he's going to run for either governor or senate so i'm gonna say cindy axney all right and todd i actually kind of think jd shulton might might run and i mean if you're gonna find somebody to increase your margins you know or close the margins in rural iowa he spent the better part of five years campaigning in northwest iowa and, and almost you know pulled a huge upset so he's intriguing i don't he's not from des moines which would be an interesting mm -hmm. switch and so I, I think he's in, it, it seems like he's interested. I mean, he's out doing stuff. 
And that's All also right. why I picked Axney because they keep saying, how come we Democrats keep picking Des Moines Democrats and then they still do? So, Yeah, that's <laughs> a member of Congress. I don't, that hasn't worked out very well for governor. I mean, Nussel tried and mm-hmm. there I, I was. I'm Jim sorry. Ross Lightfoot. Lightfoot. Yeah, yeah. And finally, final four winner, Aaron. Baylor over Gonzaga in a fantastic game. Two great right. teams. I don't know how it's not those two. Tom. Um, I'm going to take the reverse. I'm saying uh, the Zags over Baylor. All right. And Todd? Yeah, stupid Gonzaga. I mean, why do we even play the season? They've been number one all year. They're undefeated. I mean, we should have just, we could have skipped the whole thing. <laughs> Well, if any of these things happen, we'll talk about it on a future edition of On Iowa Politics. If you enjoyed the podcast, tell a friend and subscribe to us wherever you find your podcast. Send fan mail to podcast at thegazette.com. You can find us on the homepages of the Quad City Times, Sioux City Journal, Muscatine Journal, Mason City Journal Gazette, Waterloo, Cedar Falls Courier, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Backdrop will take us out. If you know an Iowa band or musician who should be on our show, send us a sound file and subscribe to On Iowa Politics on iTunes and Stitcher. For Tom, Aaron, Todd, and our producer, Stephen, I'm James Lynch. Thanks for listening. Stay well. Cool.